United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. We want to spend some time talking about China because we've seen, among other things, the Tiananmen Square anniversary this week. In addition to that, uh, Mike Pompeo has said a few things about China, and we've heard back from the Chinese, not particularly appreciative of some of the words said by the secretary. There is this sense at odds with President Trump on the issue of tariffs. And in addition to that, there's this interesting dynamic where the administration of this particular president has made protecting sovereignty the idea that states have exclusive right to govern within their own territory, a central principle of both its foreign policy generally and U.S.-China relations specifically. We often hear that China will, in the United Nations Security Council votes, respect that sovereignty for other nations, uh, and the reason they often will not get involved in some of these international conflicts is because of that. Whether or not it's the actual motive or not, we want to delve a little into with our next guest, Jacob, or Jake Stokes, a senior policy analyst in the China program at the U.S. Institute of Peace, tweeting at Jacob Stokes. Jake, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. So the idea of sovereignty, the idea that one exercises personal control, it does seem, at least if we watch U.N. votes and the policy as espoused by China at the United Nations, to be a a very much a part of their makeup. Is that something that they really respect? That's the the subject, the question you ask in your piece. Let's let's get an answer. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt that China prioritizes protecting sovereignty at home on its own territory. But As China becomes more involved in the world, some of its actions abroad raise questions about whether it's interested in protecting the sovereignty of other countries. So give us an example. Sure. So I think there's a few um, areas of action um, that would sort of raise these questions. So the first would be uh, China's sort of desire to influence or control uh, ethnic Chinese populations that live outside of China. Uh, There is a massive ethnic Chinese diaspora uh, living around the world. And um, from the perspective of Beijing, um, in many respects, ethnic Chinese um, sort of fall under the mandate of uh, the People's Republic of China. Um, so that it, so they don't always do that effectively, but that's one of their goals is to influence the, um, the ethnic Chinese populations. Secondly, through its Belt and Road Initiative, which is China's plan to build infrastructure around the world, um, some of the projects, the way they're structured, raise questions about um, whether China would take over important places such as ports or bridges um, in other countries. And then third, you've seen a few instances of Chinese intelligence or law enforcement officers um, working abroad in places that violate um, the international law that that is uh, based on sovereignty. So how much of this is uh, longstanding Chinese policy? How much of it would you say is a reflection of President Xi Jinping? Uh, Give us a sense of where this comes from. Yeah, it has deep roots um, in Chinese foreign policy. It's been going on for a while. But what you've seen with the rise of Xi Jinping is he's sort of taken the constraints off. He's acting in a much more assertive fashion. And so um, you have seen an enhanced version um, uh, by China under Xi Jinping. And that's really raised um, a lot of worries in the world um, because the, you know, previously the Chinese foreign policy was based on a concept called 
hide and bide, which basically meant to have a more modest foreign policy. Um, now it's much more assertive, much more forward-leaning. China's essentially saying, um, we're here and we're powerful, and uh, that's a fact you're going to have to live with. So one of the points you make in this piece that we were just referring to is uh, China is hardly the only state in the world with overlapping territorial claims, but Beijing's purposeful definition of sovereignty to include territories it does not currently administer constitutes a unique challenge to the internationally understood definition. So I guess the question is, how does the world or the U.S. do something to uh, address that challenge? Yeah, I think um, we have to you know, work hard to enforce the international law. At the end of the day, uh, the U.S. is trying to enforce a rules-based system um, because our theory is that the world works better, it's more peaceful, it's more prosperous uh, when there are rules that states have to adhere to. Um, and whether you're a big, powerful country uh, or a smaller, weaker country, everyone has to play by the same rules. And there are specific rules for uh, figuring out who owns a particular piece of territory. Um, what China's trying to do is work around those rules and essentially um, just grab it by uh, nature of being a powerful state. And that's especially true uh, in the South China Sea, where we've seen um, island building um, on basically small little reefs and things that are not inhabitable islands, but China's built with sand and, and other things uh, on top of them and then basically claimed and said, these are ours, even if other countries like Vietnam or Malaysia, there's many places with overlapping territorial claims. Um, they also claim those areas, but China says, no, they're, they're ours, uh, despite the fact that there was an international tribunal uh, that pretty definitively said that's not the case. Jake Stokes with us, senior policy analyst in the China program at the Institute, U.S. Institute of Peace. I want to get your reaction, if I could, Jake. Yesterday, Mitt Romney, senator from Utah, made his, you know, his inaugural speech, if you will. It was the mm -hmm. first speech as a freshman on the floor. He had talked a little bit about how he had uh, said in 2012 that Russia was a big threat. And, of course, people laughed about it. And now he says we've got to watch for China. Listen to what he said yesterday. I want to get your reaction. Today we mark the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. That day, cries for freedom were brutally crushed. Since then, China has pursued a relentless course to smother the kind of hopes and dreams that filled that square 30 years ago. It is possible, Mr. President, that China might someday experience a discontinuity or another uprising that will change its course. But barring that, because China's population is almost four times our size, its economy should eventually dwarf ours. And because economic advantage enables military advantage, China's military could even pass by ours as well. It's possible that freedom itself would be in jeopardy. That is, again, uh, Senator Mitt Romney yesterday. What's your reaction to that, Jake? Yeah, I think that is, that's a pretty sound logic. I would just add uh, a few caveats. Um, the idea that China's economy would dwarf ours is, is unlikely. You know, they've had very solid economic growth, um, astounding economic growth for 30 years, but are now, it's now starting to taper off significantly, and they have really uh, important domestic problems. That doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, take seriously the China threat. It's absolutely um, a major challenge, and we have to think 
more, um, not just about China, but how to, to build the world around it and work with our allies and partners, both in the region, but also globally, um, to shape China's behavior um, through, um, you know, through negotiations if possible, but also through, um, you know, pressure and force if need be. And as we get ready to wrap this up, just quickly, the, the uh, Senator Romney touched on something there, which is uh, barring a, an uprising, if you will, another revolution within China. Obviously, they do their best to, uh, you know, to suffuse any foment. They don't want anybody. They they watch, make sure people are not, um, you know, protesting. They 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 still tag. It may not be as overt it was in. Tiananmen Square, but it's still whatever they can to uh, make sure that the human or the individual rights are secondary to the the rights of the state. And I wonder, is there a, a possibility that we could see something like that happen in China, or is that a really unlikely future? Well, China's using very advanced surveillance technologies, including facial recognition um, and AI and tracking via phones and other, um, and then also biometrics of so kind of you know, looking at faces and things like that um, to track their populations in uh, their outer western province called Xinjiang, uh, where a, a Muslim minority population lives. And basically, they are suppressing more than a million of them. They're held in um, internment camps, essentially. Some might call them concentration camps. Um, so there's a a slower version of, of Tiananmen going on in real time out in Xinjiang right now for the Uyghur population and other uh, Muslim ethnic minorities. So um, I don't think it's uh, hypothetical. It's actually, you know, this is uh, a real time, um, you know, situation that's going on. And so the question then becomes, how do you pressure China to change its behavior, um, but also make sure that China's model doesn't spread um, to other parts of the world. There are other authoritarians um, in, in Asia and other places in the world who look at China and say, that's a pretty good way of doing business. And so the United States has to you know, have a model that um, you know, presents something that's better and, and more attractive. Jake Stokes, thank you for joining us on POTUS. Thank you. Jake Stokes, Senior Policy Analyst in the China Program at the U.S. Institute of Peace, and he is tweeting at Jacob Stokes. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.